Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Uh, just to let you know, uh, in preparation for this sermon, um, uh, a lot of the ideas were drawn from uh, a new book by Rabbi Russ Resnick. It's entitled A Life of Favor, um, and it's about uh, the narrative of Joseph. I highly recommend it. Um, so a lot of the things that I'll be talking about will come from that. I just wanted to cite my source. Amen? All right. Um, I grew up as uh, my parents' favorite child, uh, mostly because I was an only child. But, uh, but there is a sense of truth in this, okay? You can't spell favorite without the first five letters, which is what? Favor, okay? I got all my parents' attention and energy, and I didn't have to share with anybody else, okay? And I think that's, uh, that's about how we look at favor in family dynamics, right? If one person is favored, that means the other must be what? Unfa- rejected in a sense, right? There's only so much love and favor to go around, it would seem, right? This is the economy of family dynamics. Like uh, this picture, for example. All right, so which bird do you identify with the most here? All right, is it, uh, uh, yeah, very sad. I'm sure he got to eat eventually, okay? Um, but uh, I'm always curious about sibling dynamics uh, because, you know, I grew up an only child, so I always ask people about it. And we have a great abundance of that in the book of Genesis, okay? Uh, in this week's Parsha, we're, of course, concluding the book of Genesis, um, which is the book of origin and identity and covenant and calling and purpose. It establishes all of those things the kingdom of God, the essential sin problem of humanity in Genesis 3, and the election of Israel are all established in this important book. But the last one I mentioned, the election, the chosenness of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the favor of God on a particular family, this is hard for us to grasp in modern times. It doesn't quite seem fair, right? There's a tension in the narrative between the chosen and the not-so-chosen. Yeah, that's a good word, okay? We may choose to identify with the chosen ones, right? That's who we want to identify with. But inwardly, we might feel, we feel bad for when we read about Ishmael and Esau and Hagar and Leah. Why, was, why is it Abel and not Cain, right? Why is it Jacob and not Esau, And the Parsha, uh, this week's Parsha and the book of Genesis, they conclude with the remarkable narrative of Joseph, who, of course, was the favorite, the favorite of Jacob. Let's see how this narrative starts in Genesis 37, verse 2. Here is the history of Yaakov, or Jacob. When Yosef was 17 years old, he used to pasture the flock with his brothers, even though he was still a boy. Once, when he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, 
he brought a bad report about them to their father. Okay, there are three things that we notice here, if we'll leave it up for a second. Number one, the beginning of Joseph's story is introduced by saying something very interesting. What do you notice? Here is the story of Jacob, right? In other words, we're under to understand that, that Joseph's life, this is the beginning of Joseph's story, but it's really wrapped up in, related to someone else. Who is it related to? Jacob, his father. It's a fulfillment of something in Jacob's life, right? We're to see this as a foreshadowing of the relational nature of the story. Of course, our relationships, uh, people don't exist in a vacuum, right? We relate to one another. There are family dynamic relationships in Scripture and, of course, in uh, the present day. Second, we notice Joseph's profession. What is he? He's a, a sheep shepherd, yes. Very good, okay? I like that. Okay, and this gives us a clue into his character. A pastor or a shepherd does what? They take care of the sheep. All right, who else was a shepherd in the scriptures? We think of Yeshua as a figurative shepherd, right? He's called the good shepherd, but literally we also have King David and Moses, right? Both very shepherding people. You know, you have to you have to be very patient with those sheep. I hear they're very they're very actually very stubborn, okay? Just as we all like sheep have gone astray. Okay, but I'm getting a little uh little out of the way here, okay? But we understand the, the, the shepherding character of, Yeshua, of, of Yeshua um, that's apparent in Joseph, okay? And third, we notice uh, something from this little story. Joseph in his youth, what does he do? He brings a bad report about his brothers to his father, all right? The sons of Bilhah, that would be Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah would be Gad and Asher, Okay, and this is something I experienced uh, as a teacher all the time. Okay, Senor wine, Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher aren't following directions. Okay, and then which I would always respond, well, who are you responsible for? To which the student would usually look down and they would quietly say, myself. Okay, to me, this makes Joseph a little bit more human. Okay, in his youth, he was what we call in the teaching biz a tattletale, right? But we see that the favor on Joseph was not because of his perfection, right? He wasn't a perfect person. He was human just like us, but he did have favor on him. And the next two verses set up the idea of the whole story in Genesis. So let's, oh, uh, let's look at 37 verses 3 and 4 now. This is the next part. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Yosef the most of all his children, hmm. because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a long-sleeved robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they began to hate him and reached the point where they couldn't even talk with him in a civil manner. Jacob's favor for Joseph leads to favoritism, right? This is not necessarily good. Joseph is chosen, and the others are rejected, or so it would seem at, at this point. From this, the brothers choose to leave Joseph for dead in a well. They choose to sell him in slavery, and they tell Jacob, their father, that Joseph is dead. They take that long-sleeved robe, the sign of Joseph's favor, 
and they cover it with blood and they tear it, okay, and to deceive their father. And Joseph, of course, has his own story where he goes through this rejection from his brothers. He goes through false accusations, even when he is upright, when he resists temptation. And he goes through imprisonment in the dungeon for three years. Yet at his first assignment, serving Potiphar, we find the same chosenness in the life of Joseph. But it's from a different angle this time. This is from Genesis 39. Uh, starting in verse 1. Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelim, the Ishmaelites, who had brought him there. Adonai was with Joseph. Adonai was with him. And he became wealthy while he was in the household of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw how Adonai was with him, that Adonai prospered everything he did, Yosef pleased him as he served him, <coughs> excuse me, and his master appointed him manager of his household. He entrusted all his possessions to Yosef. From the time he appointed him manager of his household and all his possessions, Adonai blessed the Egyptian's household for Joseph's sake. That's very interesting. Adonai's blessing was on all he owned, whether in the house or on the field. So he left all his possessions in Yosef's care because he had him. He paid no attention to his affairs except the food that he ate. You know, he's just looking down at the plate. Everything else, Joseph was taken care of. All right? And we have a similar explanation about Joseph when he's in prison, um, when he's falsely accused. It's the same favor. There's favor on Joseph's life. There's abundant blessing. But it's not just from Jacob his father, but it's from his heavenly father, from Adonai. We see this? Okay, but favor, think about favor, especially favor from the Lord, is not a zero-sum game, right? It's not as though there's only a limited amount, and uh, once one person has the favor, the others have to be rejected. God's economy doesn't work like that, okay? When someone is uh, uh, promoted at work, when a brother or sister does exceptionally well in school, right? When someone else uh, reaches a, a goal that they've set for themselves, how do we usually feel, right? What do we say, okay? If they're favored, we can, we can celebrate with them, but does that mean that we have to feel rejected, okay? The thing is that God's economy is not competitive. It's not a competition, but it is relational, okay? One of the themes of Genesis is chosenness, right? The children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they are chosen, they are favored, but it's for the purpose of mediating blessing. It is relational, okay? I recently watched the movie uh, Hidden Figures, which is based on the true story of three African-American women who worked for NASA during the beginnings of the space race, and it took place right here in Virginia, over in Hampton. These women they did the calculations that enabled astronauts to go successfully into space and safely back down to Earth. But along the way, they faced racism and sexism on every side, including, of course, this was Virginia. So we had segregated bathrooms, segregated water fountains, segregated libraries, and segregated schools. But every time one of them advanced in, in, the, in the story, 
the others would cheer them on. And at one point, one of them said, a step forward for one of us is a step forward for all of us, okay? Which I think uh, that sort of foreshadows the words of Neil Armstrong a few years later when we finally got to the moon. What did he say? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, right? I don't think any of us were thinking, oh man, I wish I was up there, right? We weren't thinking it in, in terms of the favor on him, right? It doesn't have to be a competition, okay? It can be relational. We don't have to be the one that's walking on the moon to appreciate the awesomeness that when he was up there, it was as if, as if all of us were up there, amen? Okay, and it's interesting that there's another story here in Genesis that's intertwined with the story of Jacob and Joseph. In the middle of the Joseph narrative, we're interrupted in chapter 38 with a very interesting story um, about a man named Judah. This is one of Joseph's brothers. So why is that? Well, let's take a look. Judah is the one at the beginning of the story. Uh, the brothers are planning on killing Joseph, and Judah convinces them to just sell him into slavery instead. He spares his life, okay? He doesn't want the, his blood on, on their hands, okay? And then in chapter 38, there's a whole other story, but it doesn't shed the best light on Judah. This is kind of, kind of interesting, okay? So I'll summarize. His daughter-in-law is uh, Tamar. She had a husband, who of course was Judah's son, who died. And according to the custom at the time, um, it's also a, a law in the Torah, uh, a widow should marry um, her, her husband's brother in order to keep the family name and the inheritance within the family. So Tamar married her husband's brother, um, Judah's other son, but he died as well. And Judah is kind of looking at this track record. He's like, hmm, this doesn't look good. I do have another son. I have a third son. But um, you know what, Tamar? I think it would be better if you just remained a widow, okay? So he's, he's sort of disregarding her inheritance, okay? And so she ends up disguising herself, and uh, she meets up with Judah. Uh, he doesn't recognize her, and uh, they have two children together. And Judah finds out that she's pregnant, and he's very upset. And he's like, well, uh, you know, whoever did this, you know, this is, this is a big problem. Uh, but he learns uh, that she is pregnant by him, okay? And then he declares, he makes this declaration that Tamar is more righteous than he is, okay? So this story is, is kind of strange, but it gives us a sense of the, of the frailty of Judah's character. He, he, like Joseph, of course, is not perfect. And yet, this union, it produces two offspring, Perez and Zerah, it proves to be very important later on, okay? So let's put a pin in this story, okay? Can you remember this? Okay, and go back to the Joseph story, which is just what the biblical text does if you're reading through Genesis, okay? So Joseph's favor and gifting have put him in a position to save the surrounding nations from famine, including all of his brothers, of course, the tribes of Israel. So they come back, and what happens? They don't recognize him. And so Joseph puts them through some tests, as it were. And it's, these tests aren't meant to retaliate, okay, but rather to see if his brothers have repented. Have they changed in their hearts? Are they trustworthy? Rabbi Russ uh, and many other scholars 
believe that Joseph actually forgave his brothers a while ago. Okay, so this is not um, he's withholding forgiveness or anything like that. But just because someone is forgiven um, doesn't mean that the relationship is totally healed, that there's reconciliation or um, that, that there's been a building of trust. That has to be sometimes come over time. We understand? So in last week's Parsha, Joseph says he will keep Benjamin and the rest of the brothers can go. Benjamin is the youngest. And this provides an opportunity for the reversal of the selfishness and the jealousy that led the brothers to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place. And who leads the way? Who leads the way in this? But Judah. Judah. In Genesis 44, 29 through 33, this is what happens. Judah is talking to, uh, talking to Joseph. He doesn't yet recognize him, as the, um, but he's the prime minister of Egypt. Now, if you take this one away from me too, referring to Benjamin, his brother, and something happens to him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol with grief. He's uh, quoting uh, their father. So now if I go to your servant, my father, and the boy isn't with us, seeing how his heart is bound up with the boy's heart, when he sees that the boy isn't with us, he will die. And your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol with grief. For your servant himself guaranteed his safety. I said, if I fail to bring him to you, then I will bear the blame before my father forever. Therefore, I beg you, let your servant, that is, let me, stay as a slave to my Lord instead of the boy, instead of Benjamin. And let the boy go up with his brothers. For how can I go up to my father if the boy isn't with me? I couldn't bear to see my father so overwhelmed by anguish. So Judah, what is he doing here? He's giving his life for Benjamin's life. This is the catalyst. Right after this, Joseph reveals himself. He says, I'm your brother Joseph. He knows that they've changed. He knows that he can trust them now. In this week's Parsha, we come to the end of the story of Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and Genesis. It's all coming to a conclusion. Jacob receives Joseph. Remember, who was as good as dead. And not only him, but his children. The end of Jacob's story comes through because of the favor on Joseph. Joseph used that favor not as favoritism, but to fulfill his purpose. To bless others, to forgive his brothers, and to bring salvation. Also, through his faithfulness and forgiveness, he was resurrected, in a sense, and restored to his father, Jacob. This week's Parsha also includes Jacob blessing Joseph's children. And uh, as Sonia mentioned, he crosses his arms, right, when he blesses them so that the younger is favored over the older one. In the back of our minds, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about Jacob, this, this same scene, right, when he stole the blessing from Esau with his dying father, right, Isaac. Okay, so that's, this is what we're, we're, we're seeing when we see this. And Joseph, at first, he objects to this crossing of the arms. Okay? Jacob uh, is, uh, is already blind. He's dying. Maybe Jacob has gotten it backwards, right? Maybe he's not thinking straight. He's a little old, okay? But no, Jacob assures him this is the way it is. Favor on the younger son, just like Jacob had favor. He was the younger son. And just like, of course, Joseph 
Joseph had favor, even though he was younger than his older brothers, okay? And each week when we pray for our children, as I just did, we pray according to Jacob's instruction. That comes from this very Parsha. May God make you like Ephraim and Menashe. You remember we just said that, right? So this time, however, there's none of the trickery and uh, supplanting going on that we saw in Jacob, right? Uh, None of the fraternal rivalry that we've seen in Jacob's narrative or in the larger narrative of Genesis. Remember Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph struggling with his brothers. Even the the sister wives, quote-unquote, can be seen this way. Sarah versus Hagar, Rachel versus Leah, okay? But Ephraim and Menashe, they're different. There's no record of their fighting, their rivalry in the text. It seems to me that this is a break from the cycle. There's a cycle of brother against brother, right? And this points us toward the other way, toward humility, toward harmony, preferring the other person to ourselves, okay? So when we, when we bless our children that God would make them like Ephraim and Menashe, we are proclaiming a break in the rivalry cycle, the contention, the favoritism. And we're declaring a vision of shalom, of completeness and peace uh, between natural brothers and spiritual brothers and sisters, the fullness of which comes, of course, through the prince of shalom, Yeshua the Messiah. Jacob also blesses the rest of his children, okay? And he goes through and he blesses each one and kind of gives a a prophetic blessing. And uh, here we're going to focus on the blessing for Judah, okay? Remember, favor is not zero sum. There's not just a limited amount. Judah was the recipient of grace and forgiveness from Joseph, which gave him the opportunity to give up his life for his brother, Benjamin. And this is how Jacob blesses Judah, in verse uh, 8 through 10 of Genesis 49. Yehuda, your brothers will acknowledge you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down before you. Sounds like the blessing for Joseph, doesn't it? Hmm. Yehuda is a lion's cub. My son, you stand over the prey. He crouches down and stretches like a lion. That's the lion of Judah. That's where we get that like a lioness who dares to provoke him. The scepter will not pass from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his legs, until he comes to whom obedience belongs. Or some some translations say, until Shiloh comes. And it is he whom the peoples will obey, all the peoples of the earth. Interesting, right? So Judah now is the one whom his brothers will bow down to. In this prophetic sense, I thought that was Joseph, right? Only God's favor is big enough for both of them to happen, for Joseph and Judah. And from Judah, apparently, if we could pull it back up, there's going to arise a king who rules forever. Who is this? It's the Messiah. It's Yeshua. The beginning of the Gospel of Matthew reminds us of the importance of Yeshua's heritage, okay? And uh, let's take a look at the beginning of Matthew. This is the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah. I love to say this. Son of David, son of Avraham. Avraham was the father of 
Yitzhak. Yitzhak was the father of? Yaakov. Yaakov was the father of? Not Joseph. Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Peretz and Zerah. In parentheses, their mother was Tamar. We remember that whole story, right? Okay, and with that parenthetical, Matthew reminds us of this crazy story with Tamar and how God's favor and blessing brings the king of kings, Yeshua the Messiah, descended from imperfect humans like Judah. Right? Do we see that? The patriarch, Jacob, is dying. And Joseph's brothers now come to him again. And they expressly ask for forgiveness this time. So the, the father has passed away, and they're like, oh, well, he's, maybe he was just faking it before, and he's going to get back at us now, and we want to ask for your forgiveness. It is the first human-to-human forgiveness recorded in Scripture, and according to Rabbi Sachs, the first human-to-human forgiveness in history. Most scholars believe, as I said, that Joseph actually forgave them a long time ago, but here the forgiveness is stated. It's, it's out in the open. And made plain and clear. At the end of Genesis, Joseph says this to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, I am dying. But God will surely remember you and bring you up out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Remember the promise. Then Joseph took an oath from the sons of Israel. God will surely remember you and you are to carry my bones up from here. In other words... Joseph is leaving the earth first before his brothers. And now, now he has to rely on them and their descendants to complete the mission, to bring Joseph to the promised land. He can't get there by himself. It's relational again. The story, in order for it to come full circle, Joseph, who is the favored one, he has to ask what? He has to ask a favor of his brothers. Joseph... We remember he had already brought his father, Jacob, back to the land after he died. Okay, that was the, the mourning uh, that the uh, Egyptians mourned for him in the land of Canaan that Sonia talked about. But Joseph doesn't do this. Joseph is waiting. He's depending on his brothers, and he will not go back to the land of promise without his people. He's going to wait for them to come out of slavery and go up with them. It is, in fact, Moses... Moses does this, brings his bones back, who's, defend, who's descended from Levi, right? His brother. He brings Joseph's bones back to the promised land with him. A true shepherd does not abandon the flock even after death. This is how powerful forgiveness is. It can reverse negative family dynamics. We can look on those whom God has favored in some way without jealousy Because God's favor is not competitive, it's relational. When someone else has the favor of the Lord upon them, it also blesses us, right? Blessing is mediated, goes through people. Like Jacob, we can pass on a legacy of what we have learned through suffering, to use God's favor for the good of others. Like Ephraim and Menashe, we can build on the kingdom of our righteous patriarchs like Joseph And we can reverse cycles of jealousy and hatred and deception. And like Judah, like Judah, we can respond 
to our Savior's forgiveness the right way, we can give our lives for our brothers and sisters, for the Benjamins of the world who cannot defend themselves. We can be like Judah. May God empower us to internalize these narratives into our lives to be a blessing to everyone we meet, especially in 2018. Amen? All right. Let's pray.